Hey guys, welcome to the Twin Tiger Show. My name is Tiger Aaron, alongside with Tiger Drew, and and on today's episode, we are going to talk about the ACC, and we all know what that stands for, another Clemson championship, as we absolutely run Notre Dame off of our field in Charlotte. We also talk about how, how that game performance is going to affect Trevor Lawrence as he goes and enters the Heisman finalist mode of his personal career, and then we are going to talk about the rematch of what a lot of people are called the rematch of the decade, Clemson and Ohio State, college football playoff part two or part three if you want to go back to go back to 2016. But uh, I guess we can just get started. Uh, Drew, what did you see from that uh, uh, Notre Dame game? It was a lot of fun getting back out there having the uh, having the rematch for sure. I um, definitely enjoyed you know pretty much start to finish aside from the the early tip pick that. That Trevor had um, a, a fully healthy Clemson team is very scary, and luckily that's you know we're not fully healthy yet. Uh, you know, still got a couple of receivers out, but we're we're getting pretty close, and it's a it's a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, I mean it's um start it's starting to become a trend. Uh, you know, angry Clemson is probably the scariest football team in the country. I would put a healthy Clemson is is easily second, maybe third uh, on on that list. I mean, when you just break down the game and look at the look at the different approaches that Clemson had from the first game to the second game, you begin to notice Notre Dame didn't change anything about their about their, I guess, approach to the ACC championship as they did in the game um, up in South Bend. You know, it just kind of looked like Brian Kelly wasn't wasn't prepared for a healthy Clemson and Trevor Lawrence and um, and uh, James Skalski. And I'm not trying to knock him. You know, he uh, just won ACC Coach of the Year. But I can understand where some fans may say Kelly and Notre Dame don't step up in the big games because, I mean, about – halfway through the first quarter till the end of the game, it was a complete dominance by the Tigers. You know, um, Trevor Lawrence had had what Trevor Lawrence does is just a phenomenal postseason game. Uh, he, uh, uh, he threw for around 240, rushed, rushed, rushed for almost 100, uh, if not over. And it was just – it was the most complete cleansing game I've seen this season. Yeah, I honestly just kind of felt like, you know, during the game and going back and rewatching it and – knowing what we know now, it really just felt like Brian Kelly was sitting back thinking, ah, we already beat them once, you know, it's just another, it's the same Clemson team. And what we saw in Charlotte was not the same Clemson team. And, you know, he, he got to see the the full force Clemson. And, um, you know, I think if you give him another shot, then he would definitely switch up how he prepared for it. I mean, yeah, just um, going up to the, uh, to the approach of the game, uh, well, one, I was completely wrong. Trevor didn't throw for around 240. He threw for 320. Uh, I don't know where I got that uh, 240 number from, you know, um, because I guess he just makes throwing over over 300 look normal. So, you know, um, but anyway, I mean, yeah, it's you watch the game and leading up to it, everyone was saying every every pundit, every analyst, everyone, uh, Eric, uh, Eric Mackling said it on the show. Last week, um, two weeks ago, it's just 
Trevor Lawrence changes the identity of this Clemson offense, and he is, by every account, a significant running threat. He's probably the the most lethal r- running threat from a, I guess, a pro style quarterback um, this season. And I Notre Dame wasn't prepared for it. They weren't they weren't prepared for the uh, um, zone zone read option concept. It was um it was always their defensive ends, their uh, five techniques, and their uh, and their uh, outside edge rushers one on one with. Lawrence and Travis on a zone read and you know that's a that's a pure pick your poison moment you know do do you want to let them give the ball to arguably the best running back in the country or do you want the a 6-6 quarterback in stride taking it on on a, on a, the on the outside of you and um Notre Dame tried to do what they did last time. They tried to stop Travis Etienne. They they tried to win. To uh, th- they tried to win the point of entry. They tried to win the trenches, and it just did not. It just did not turn out the way that they wanted to. Um, is it a coaching thing? Possibly, probably. Uh, is it a player thing? Probably not. But you know, this no- Notre Dame team, frankly, wasn't prepared for a for a ACC championship game against Clemson. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I, I was looking at this game thinking it was going to be close. You know, um, I was completely wrong. You know, uh, there's a reason I don't make hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of dollars and watch the games in a booth in the stadium, uh, just simply because apparently I don't know what I'm talking about, especially when it comes to these games. Um, but, I mean, yeah, uh, what did you see from Clemson this go-around except from the obvious of players being healthy in the ACC championship prior to the uh, game in South Bend. Yeah, I mean, 100%, like you were saying, I think it goes back to, to kind of what me and Eric were hitting on on a couple weeks ago's show. Uh, I mean, Trevor Lawrence does not get the respect that he's due for being the running threat that he is. Everybody looks at him and got the big arm, great accuracy, six six. You know, everybody looks at him and you're thinking, oh, this kid's a pocket passer. But then they run that zone read and you bite on on ETN and the kid's gone for 60 yards in the blink of an eye. So, I mean, nobody really gives him the respect until after he's passed them. So, you know, as a Clemson fan, we all kind of knew what he was going to bring to the table in terms of the run game. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, anytime that a quarterback is nothing but a, a mismatch breaker on offense running the ball. Like you don't have enough guys to, to stop the running back and stop the quarterback. And and that's what we saw. You know, Notre Dame was was trying to keep a guy outside. But, you know, like you said, what are you going to do whenever he fakes a handoff to nine? Are you just going to let nine torch you? Or are you going to try to stop him? And so, you know, Trevor Lawrence being back really helped us a lot in the run game. And I think it's just something that's overlooked. And, and he definitely doesn't get the credit that he's due as being a, a true dual threat quarterback. I mean, yeah, as uh, as we talk about uh, quarterbacks and um, mismatches, an- another big thing about this game pr- um, that was different from the game prior up in South Bend was the quarterback of our defense was back, James Skalski. And, um, you know, Kurt, uh, Kurt Herbstreit said it during the game. He has never really seen Clemson be – he said um, he said unsporting, I would say passionate, you know um, – I could tell early on James was having having a game. He was smiling. He was talking a lot of smack, 
one of those things that if uh, that if he was mic'd up for the game, I I would pay I would pay pay for that pay per view. Um, probably probably wouldn't be safe for work, but I still would pay for it. You know, he was just having fun, and him being back, him and Tyler really changed our our front seven completely. I mean, we went back uh, back when we played them the first go around. You know, oh man, it's you know Notre Dame's offensive line's probably probably the best in the country. They won the trenches hand down and. They were, you know, it was um, it it was a big mismatch for Clemson, but 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 as you can see, with one one or two players being back, it can really flip the script on a team. It also doesn't help that Notre Dame had a backup center in the game, you know, um, but the uh, the ability of Tyler Davis at that nose uh at that nose guard and defensive tackle spot and uh and James Golski coming down on blitzes can really change a game I mean there were there were a few times where Williams picked up the uh Skalski blitz but then you have K, uh KJ Henry coming off the edge and getting the sack and that's in my opinion a true testament to Tyler obviously it's great on KJ to get the sack but you have Tyler who's eating up a double team not only is he eating up a double team he's still crashing the pocket I mean if he wasn't injured, he probably, in my opinion, would be a easy first-team All-American at his position. He's he's clearly a game changer, and it really affected this game. Um, you know, so you know Notre Dame wasn't really help, uh, prepared for a healthy Clemson. You know, they weren't they uh, weren't prepared for the um, for the run attack, and by all accounts, they weren't they weren't a, they weren't prepared for Trevor Lawrence and um, Trevor this week uh, 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 back on uh, Christmas Eve was was announced a Heisman Trophy finalist. He is the second player to be named a Heisman Trophy finalist in in Clemson history. As we know, Deshaun Watson was named a finalist in, in back to back years back in the 2016 and 2017 campaigns. And as we all know, by all accounts, he was snubbed in that 2017 campaign as what um, what Dabo said was a true shame for the Heisman Trophy and the Heisman Trophy committee, you know, and, uh, and a complete lack of ability to attach their name to someone like Deshaun, who is currently, you know, having an all-pro season in the NFL. He's going to his – he's going to – or he was voted for another Pro Bowl – you know, and um, you know, I don't, I don't want to really get into um, Deshaun at Houston, e- even though I will say he does need to get out. You know, someone needs to trade him, someone needs to buy him. I, I don't care what he, he needs, he needs to get out of Houston. Uh, that team's an absolute dumpster fire, and they're starting to enter Jets territory. But you know, with uh, Trevor being the second player to be named as a uh, Heisman Trophy finalist, um. What have you seen from his film this season? You know, it's it isn't a career award; it's a this season award. But just in general, throughout his career, what have you seen from Trevor that's really solidified your thought that you know, sixteen deserves a Heisman oh, yeah, Trophy? I mean, it's not close. You know, you, you turn on ESPN and they'll try to break down the throws and what they see versus this coverage and that coverage. But if you turn on the football game on any given Saturday, you know that. 
Trevor Lawrence is the best college football player in the country. He's going to go down as, you know, the best, I think the best quarterback to ever play in college. I hear the Andrew Luck comparisons and he's the best since Andrew. He's way better than Andrew Luck. It's not close. But what the stuff that this guy provides to his team is, is just freaking leaps and bounds better than what Andrew Luck could have ever done. So if you're watching the games and not just pulling up stats, you know that Trevor Lawrence is the best player in the country. If they wanted him to throw for 500 yards a game, he would throw for 500 yards a game. But, you know, unfortunately, I, I got a really bad feeling that most of the voters for this Heisman Trophy are just going to be pulling up the stats and, and reading Twitter and all that good stuff. But, yeah, I think Trevor Lawrence is the best player in the country. I do not think he's going to be able to win the Heisman this year, though. I mean, yeah, it's um, the, uh, the Heisman Trophy has kind of gone away from what it used to be, which is a, a award given to the best, to the most outstanding, to the just the most complete player in their position in college football. And it's just kind of become a, I guess, a stats and a single game award. I mean, I mean, let's, let's go back, let's go back to 2017 or no, uh, 2016 when um, Deshaun uh, lost to Lamar Jackson. By all accounts, Lamar Jackson won that Heisman Trophy after beating FSU, after having just a, a, a phenomenal game and probably the best single game performances I have seen in a long, long time. I mean, that was a phenomenal game. That was a purely perfect performance, but one game shouldn't win you the, win you the Heisman Trophy. You know, one half of a season shouldn't win you a Heisman Trophy. It's what you do throughout the entirety of the season. And voters in that year voted before the deadline. Like, uh, I, I think the uh, Heisman Committee said almost half of the votes were turned in before the end of the regular season. You know, they were just so, so certain that Lamar Jackson was this great player. And he was. And he put on great numbers. And I would say if it was any other season – I understand him winning the Heisman, but it's a complete season. You know, what happened when November hit? We saw peak and prime Deshaun. We saw the best quarterback in the country slinging it and winning football games and, and getting back into a position for a national championship. And then we saw Lamar, a guy in four games who, who accounted for eight turnovers and just had a late season collapse. But because votes had already been cast and, 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 and counted, at, at the end of the day, the late-season push by Deshaun wasn't enough to overcome just that early lead that Lamar had. And if the Heisman was voted on after the national championship, which I do think the majority of, of college football fans want, it would have gone to Deshaun, Deshaun Watson at least one of those two years. Um, you know, he's just, it's one of those things. He was the best player in college football, hands down. Everyone was calling him, you know, the, the first quarterback to be taken, the number one overall pick until, I don't know who, who drank what, but someone said Mitchell Trubisky this, Mitchell Trubisky that. And it completely changed the NFL draft look. But the Heisman Trophy has lost a lot of luster that it's had. And 
you know, um, and it's mostly lost it in the eyes of Clemson fans and fans of not one specific team, just fans of the game itself. Because with Deshaun Watson back in 16 and, um, and with, uh, and with players after and, and prior to him, the, the Heisman Trophy has kind of lost its, uh, lots lost its accreditation in, uh, my eyes. And, um, like you said, if you watch the games, if you watch any given Saturday, Trevor Lawrence is doing stuff that quarterbacks in the NFL cannot do. And yes, the level of competition is different going from going from college football to to the NFL, but it's pretty easy to tell why people are calling him the number one overall pick and one of the best quarterback prospects of all time. It's because He's doing it in college, and it's just it just looks easy to him. He's not panicking. He's not rushing stuff. He's keeping he's keeping his calm, and he's just m- making plays that NFL quarterbacks can't. You know the the pocket's crashing. He keeps his eyes downfield. He slides up, slides out, and throws an absolute dart thirty five yards with just like the flick of his pinky finger, and he's making throws that people frankly shouldn't be able to make you know it's um you know I really do think he is the best player in it uh in college football he's clearly going to be the uh number one overall pick to now the Jack Jacksonville Jaguars so you know um you know praise be to the Lord that he's not going to New York he's going to Jacksonville but he's he's clearly the best player um, if if there were if there was a player that is to win the Heisman that's not Trevor, it has to be Devonta Smith, simply because if you just look at the numbers and you look at everything, he is an absolute freak at wide receiver. He is the best wide receiver in in college football. He is gonna win the um, Blitnikoff Award easy. Um, I would say, you know, the level of competition he's playing at cornerback. In, in the SEC isn't up to what I would say the, the level Trevor has played this season. But none of that really matters. Smith in, in and of itself is having a phenomenal year. And uh, I have no doubt if Jalen Waddle was healthy, Smith would have an even better year, you know, with, uh, with just with those dual threats uh, on um, both ends, it's pretty easy to find a, uh, open wide out in that uh, Alabama offense. But like you said, Trevor's best player hands down. And I feel like he's, he's done everything he can to win, win this award. It's just whether or not the voters actually see that and actually recognize it, you know? Um, But I guess it, you know, I guess it, it is what it is, you know, um, time will tell the, uh, the announcement and the ceremony is going to be on January 5th after the, uh, after the college, the college football playoff games. One thing that's important, voting has already ceased. So whether or not Trevor throws for, for 500 yards and 15 touchdowns or throws five, five interceptions, uh, it isn't going to affect where he is in the, uh, in the voting, but the votes have are, have, have already been casted. Yeah, I mean, take nothing, take nothing away from Devontae Smith. I mean, 
I feel pretty confident in saying that he's he's going to win the Heisman Trophy, and he is the best receiver in college football, and he, he is a great football player, but Trevor Lawrence is the best football player in the country. No question about it. I mean, yeah, he's um, Trevor is the only guy in college football right now that you can say without a doubt, put him on any team. He doesn't have a good game. The team has a good game. He truly makes everyone around him better. I mean, this is a guy who lost his top three options at wide receiver going into this season. He lost his best three options to throw to this season. And what has he done? He's only had the best quarterback rating of his career. He's had the best season of his career. And, you know, he uh, uh, he won ACC Player of the Year. Uh, he won uh, ACC Offensive Player of the Year. And in my opinion, he, sh- he should win the Heisman after losing his three biggest threats at wide receiver. You know, I as much respect to Smith, Smith as possible. Take away Mac Jones. Devontae Smith is not having the season he's having right now. Take away Smith from Jones. Jones is not having the season he's having right now. Take, take Kyle Pitts away from Kyle Trask. He's not having the season he's having right now. Take away any wide receiver on this Clemson team. Trevor Lawrence is still having the season he's having. You know, and he's shown it when he's played with, with wide receiver twos and threes against Notre Dame, against whoever. He's making those guys better. He's throwing them open. He's, he's making the reads. He's truly doing what you want to see out of your quarterback. He's just doing everything right and doing it by the book. And, you know, like you said, one day down the road, we are going to see books. We're going to see articles. We might see a, an ESPN 30 for 30, whatever it, it may be. But there's going to be, a, there's going to be one commonality between all of those, um, all of those outlets. A lot of them are going to say Trevor Lawrence was the best quarterback in college football history from a, from a winning standpoint, from a number standpoint, and from what they did at the next level standpoint. Trevor Lawrence is going to go down as the best quarterback in college football history, and he's rightfully deserved so. You know, um, and one thing about becoming one of the best of all time is doing it on the biggest stages against – the best teams, and in three days from now, on January 1st, 2021, Clemson will play Ohio State for the second time in 168 days. As today is the one-year anniversary of the infamous Fiesta Bowl, whatever whatever you want to call it. Some might say the worst officiated game in, in college, college football history. Some may say one of the greatest comebacks in college football playoff history. Clemson plays Ohio State for the second time in just over a year. What are some things that you were looking at on New Year's Day's matchup? Yeah, I mean, I know we say that, you know, Ohio State's, you know, they're how great they are. And I, I do think they are a very good team. Um, I think, you know, they've got the talent and they have the coaching and everything to – to have earned their their spot in the playoff, um, in theory, but I don't think I don't think just having the talent should should earn you a spot um, into the college football playoff. I mean, like I said, they have the talent to where they could beat Clemson and they could win the national championship, but 
there's nothing that they've put on film this year that is that has shown me anything to to have me sitting here worried or sitting here nervous. I mean, they're they had two games against teams with a pulse with Indiana and Northwestern, and they looked awful in both of them. I mean, nothing they did was working aside from Trey Sermon in this last game. But I mean, yeah, they've got the guys, they've got the horses, they've got the coaches, but nothing that they have put on film this year has has I think warranted them a spot in the college football playoff. I mean, yeah, it's just a, uh, you know, um, everyone's said it, Jimbo Fisher, Dabo Sweeney, um, Brian Kelly. When you look at the overall output that Ohio State has done this season and you look at their schedule, it just doesn't make any sense for them to be in this playoff. I mean, they, I mean, like, let's, so let's look at the three biggest metrics and forms of criteria that the college football playoff committee is supposed to look at strength of schedule. Ohio state is 70th in the country out of, I think a hundred and a hundred and five teams playing or like 115 teams who have played games this year. They're 70th, you know, that, that ranks behind everyone else in the top 10 besides Cincinnati. So they are the second worst team in strength of schedule in the top 10 at home. That is not good. No, you want a low number. This is golf. You want a low number, not a high number. So we look at that. Then we look at strength of record. Yes, it's four. Four is good. Four means you're one of the given an average top 25 team. It's very difficult for that team to go what your record is. So six and oh in the schedule they have played. So yes, that's good. And then game controls also four. But let's look at teams that were left out this year. Texas A&M. By all accounts, Texas A&M, in my opinion, should have made the college football playoff. They've played more games. They've played better competition. And their only hiccup is to a team that the, that the committee unanimously decided was the best team in the country. They're at fifth on the outside looking in. Well, you may ask, well... What was their strength of schedule? Well, it was 10th in the country. It is the second – no, it's it's the third best schedule of top 10 teams, and it's the best schedule if you were to put them in the playoff or if you were to expend, ex, expand the playoff to five teams. wouldn't work at five teams, but whatever. They would be the best strength of schedule. They have played the most difficult schedule this season of the top five teams. Okay, well, what about their strength of record? Ah, it's third. Third third would put them in the playoffs. The current lowest team with the strength of record is Clemson. Clemson is sixth. But as an ACC one-loss champion, Clemson's in no matter what. So Texas A&M has, has a better strength of schedule and a better strength of record than Ohio State. The only thing they do not have is a conference championship which is kind of the big bugaboo for the committee. But even then, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because if you go back to 2017, Alabama got in without a conference championship over Ohio State, who did have a conference championship. So we're kind of seeing the committee pick and choose with stuff 
kind of at will. There is no playbook. There is no predictability to it. The only, actually, the only predictability to it is we know damn well this committee is going to do something that absolutely leaves us dumb, dumbfounded. They put Ohio State in, in this playoff because of the name on the front of their jersey, not because of their criteria or their output or their games or whatever. They did it based off of the name on their jersey and the stars next to the players on roster when they were recruited. You know, and some may say, "Eh, but that's a good process because usually the best teams do the best. You you would be right. But if we did that based off of that idea that the best teams are the best teams, best recruited teams are are the best teams, and then they make the playoffs every year, where's Florida State? Florida State's bottom of the table in, in the ACC. Where's LSU? LSU is bottom of the table in the SEC. Where's UGA? UGA is losing all the big games uh, of the season. UGA just can't cut it. What about Southern California? They're always like top five every year. Yeah, well, they they got their butts handed to them by a by I think a three and two Oregon team in the Pac-12 championship. So if you want to go based off of the best rosters and this and that you're going to get a playoff of a bunch of, sorry to say, losing teams that really aren't any good and, and, and have no right to compete for, a, a, compete for a national title. And that's kind of the president that this committee has placed this season. Even though Ohio State hasn't looked good in their two biggest games, even though they haven't played anybody good, even though they've only played six games, which is a little bit more than half of what everyone else has played, well, they're Ohio State. Put them in. Let's see the rematch. Let's do this and that. Yeah, whatever. I I would much rather see Clemson A&M or Clemson Notre Dame again than Clemson and Ohio State simply because if you look at everything, Ohio State is not a playoff caliber team. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Uh, schedule's not there. The Big Ten's awful. Um, I, I honestly believe that they look at the guys that are back, you got a guy like Justin Fields and Olave and everybody there and, and Sean Wade opting back into the season and the name on the front of the jersey. And it's like, oh, of course they're a top four team. We don't, we don't really need to see a whole lot just as long as they win. But I, I don't really think that's what they're there to do. I think they're there to judge of what actually happens on the field, not just the names on the jerseys. And unfortunately, I don't think that's what we saw at all this year. Yeah, it's – um. You know, you bring up names like Sean Wade, um, Olave, and Justin Fields. Um, those are their biggest name players of the season. And if you look at look at their biggest games, well, they kind of haven't done a whole lot in their big games. You know, um, the two two biggest games of the year versus an Indiana team, which as much respect to them as possible is not as good as their record states. I mean, great team, absolute American-class team that it's easy to root for them. But they just aren't there yet. They aren't at that level to where they're going to be competing in, in the Big Ten year in and year out. Maybe next year, maybe the year after, if they can show some consistency. But right now, that Indiana team was, 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 was good at the time just because of their ranking. No more, no less. You know, and then you look at Northwestern. Two biggest games of the year. 
what was a commonality in both those games. Justin Fields did not play well. Justin Fields at all. It was, they were they were ugly games. I think think going into the he had two interceptions in the Big Ten championship game and he had two against Indiana. He's had five all year. Two games against two ranked teams. He's had more interceptions in, in those two games than he's had in his entire career at Ohio State. You know, um, do I think that is enough to base an, an, uh, an assertion on he's going to do poorly in the Sugar Bowl? Absolutely not. I am not making that statement whatsoever. I'm just stating the stats. In their two biggest games of the year, Justin Fields did not have the production output that you want from a quarterback who, at the beginning of the year, was touted and as I one of the Heisman favorites. You, know. yeah, you don't really have to make that assumption, but I already have. I've already made the assumption for the show. He's he's guaranteed at least one pick. I could see a second one in there. I don't think we're going to get the best version of, of Justin Fields. I mean, I yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, it's just, um, you know, and is that because Justin Fields isn't as good this year as, as it was last year? Absolutely not. I think he's better. I think he's improved. But another reason why I just don't think this this Ohio State team is playoff caliber worthy is they are significantly top-heavy. This team is very talented, but when you look at their depth, they have none. When you look at their wide receivers, they have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Both uh, Wilson has 38 receptions. Olave has 36. Combined, they have accounted for just short of 1,200 passing or, yeah, 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. Their next wide receiver is Jamison Williams with five catches for 78 yards and a touchdown. There is a 450-yard difference between their second leading wide receiver and their third wide receiver. Their depth, when it comes to a pure game standpoint, is not at all competitive with the depth that we see at other, on other playoff teams. They have two good wide receivers, and the rest haven't had breakout games, haven't had a breakout game, haven't done, frankly, anything all year. You know, and, and, then, and then you look at the running back conversation, and yeah, Trey Sermon had that career game against Northwestern. Take away that career game, it's, you know, he's, he's averaging about four and a half yards a carry. You know, and then Master Teague, who had a good year or had a good game against Clemson last year, is averaging about five yards a carry. But so, you know, their their second leading touchdown scoring running threat is Justin Fields. You know, I can go down the list of Clemson running backs who I can see if a player were to go down, a running back could step up. Obviously, we don't want Travis Etienne going down because he's the best running back in the country. But if he does, I have no doubt Lin Jay can Lin Jay can can perform at the standard we need him to. If Lin Jay goes down, heck, we've seen Darian Wrencher bust off big yard games and he can probably do it again. 
Kobe Pace, same thing. Ches Malusi, same thing. They're all talented running backs who can, who have gotten meaningful reps at a meaningful position in meaningful games, and they've performed phenomenally. And this Ohio State team has not tested their depth at all. They they have one quarterback under their passing stats. It's Justin Fields. Ohio State has no contingency plans. They have no backup players. They have nothing to give anyone confidence if a player were to go down, the player behind them, next man up, is going to perform. That's because they were so busy trying to look good for the committee, they failed to build a complete team. By all accounts, Ohio State is the – aren't a playoff team, but if you – if, if they're in the playoffs, they're the fourth best team. They are the, they are the least qualified team in the playoffs. And that's because on film, they haven't done a whole lot. In depth, they have none. And in their biggest games, they've just about done everything but lay an egg. So I don't know what about this game a lot of people think it's going to be like it was last year. You know, they just – you know, they just aren't as good as they were last year. No, yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. Uh, I think I think the fans are doing the same thing that the, that the committee did, you know. We're playing Ohio State. It's a playoff game. It's supposed to be a close game. And Justin Fields is back, and they've got the talent. But, you know, like you said, there is no backup plan. If they get out there and, and Justin Fields doesn't work, they don't know what to do. They're backed into a corner. If Alave is not working – they're backed into a corner. I mean, we already know what the secondary is. It's not good. The defense is, you know, I mean, they're okay. They're a decent little football team, but, you know, decent little football teams don't win national championships. So, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. There, I mean, there's no backup plan. I'm, I feel pretty confident in saying that if we can shut one thing down, whether it be passing or Trey Sermon running the ball, then I think it could turn very easily into a 17-point victory. So, you know, we'll, we'll definitely get into the game and see how it see how it looks to, to open up and uh, just kind of see what Brent Venables is going to try to take away. Um, you know, it's very possible that we're not able to take anything away. Everything's clicking for them, but that would it would really surprise me if that were that if that were to be the case. I mean, yeah, I'd say um, we say it every year, every postseason you don't want to give Brent Venables time to figure out your offense. He did it against Notre Dame. He had a bye week prior to the ACC championship, and he absolutely tore that offense apart. He knew what they were doing when, and, and, and when they were doing it. He, 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 he is some, he's some wizard when it comes to the defense and how to prepare them versus a, a offense and give him the time that he would get prior to a bowl game, he's damn near unbeatable. Um, but, you know, switching over to, I guess, the Clemson offensive side of the ball, or or I should say the Ohio State defensive side of the ball, you know, well, where does Ohio State lack on the defensive side? Well, just about everywhere. Their, um, their secondary gives up 261 yards passing a game. That ranks 104th in the country. They have one of the worst pass defenses in the country, and they've been doing it against teams with mediocre quarterbacks and mediocre wide wide receiver options. I mean, 
Ramsey, prior to, I guess, his second half collapse, was looking like a world beater against that Ohio State secondary. Is it a credit to Ramsey? Absolutely. Is it a knock on that Ohio State secondary? Absolutely. Ramsey looked like a world beater. He looked like a he looked like a Heisman candidate quarterback against that Ohio State secondary. He was picking him apart, and he and he was doing that because he was given time to throw because his offensive line was was protecting him. Northwestern has a great offensive line, but in years past, Ohio State has built their defensive dominance around the same thing Clemson has, their defensive line. Clemson and, and Ohio State both have claims to being defensive line U very easily with, with the Bosa brothers and with Young and then with, um, then with the Power Rangers and, and uh, what they've done. Both teams have claims to it. This year, it, it isn't a toss-up. Clemson's defensive line is significantly better than, than Ohio State's defensive line. Ohio State in six games only has 17 sacks on the year. Clemson in 11 games, I believe, has 44 sacks on the year. That's so in just over twice the games, Clemson's defense has almost three times the sacks. And numbers like that, including tackles for loss and and turnovers, is just about just about the same. This Ohio State defense that was probably the best defense in the country last year is not at all what they were, or not at all this year what they were last year. You know, so um, I think given the matchup with Clemson being one of the best passing offenses in the country and Ohio State being one of the worst passing defenses in the country, if if this becomes a game of you take away this and I take away that, it can get out of hand very quickly for Ohio State. You know, I think if Clemson goes after taking away the run, which is what they did last year, and which is what Clemson usually does, you know, there's a chance Justin Fields doesn't have a good game, you know, just based off of what he's done in those games this year. Take away Clemson's running attack matched up against this Ohio State pass defense, it's, it's going to be ugly. And this Ohio State pass defense does not have the ability to take away Clemson's passing offense. So this game isn't going to be chess, you know, a chess match like it was last year. I think this is going to be checkers. It's, it's going to be a very simplified game in game plan and, and in execution, and it's going to come down to which team can execute better. And from all the film I've watched, and yes, believe it or not, us guys, the fifth quarter, we watch film, you know, this is a, this is a little bit of a job for us. So, you know, of all the game film I've watched, this Ohio state team isn't really going to, isn't really going to cut it. And so as we get into betting, a lot of people agree with that uh, sentiment. Clemson is currently a, a seven and seven and a half point favorite. And the over/under is sitting at d- different pages, but but the median is at six, sixty-five and a half. So, Drew, what are you taking if uh, if uh, you are putting yeah, uh, if, if you're putting money me, on the game? You know, a check with a thousand dollars on it, and I had to bet it all. I'm definitely taking the under. I mean, I think it's going to be relatively high scoring, but 
as you'll kind of see with my final score prediction, I think it's going to be more high scoring towards one side of the ball. So give me the under on the 65 and a half. All right. Um, and then uh, I guess just go ahead. How, yeah, um, what is your score prediction? Clemson. So I'm definitely taking Clemson with the points. And like I said, I'm taking the under 38 to 24. I could see it being a, you know, a, a close okay. game for probably a half, maybe even three quarters. But like we were talking about earlier, I think the depth is key. And when you look at the stats and when you look at the breakdowns, I mean, Ohio State just doesn't have the depth that, that Clemson does at, at really any position. Um, so, like I said, you could see it being close for a little bit, but I do think Clemson pulls away. I think this is another year that you look at look back at the semifinals and neither one of them were really close. So, give me the Tigers plus seven and a half and give me the under. All right. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I'm taking Clemson on the spread. Um, I am taking – I am going to take the, uh, the over. I'm sitting around like a – Sitting around like a 48-35 game, you know, it's just, um, you know, this uh, this this Ohio State team has kind of struggled to stop m- mediocre quarterbacks. Well, what are they going to do when they face the best quarterback in the country? So I don't think they're going to th- – I-, I don't think there's going to be a lot of stops in this game. It isn't going to be a – defensive chess match as it was last year. Um, I think, I think it's going to be high scoring, but yeah, I take Clemson on the spread. I take, uh, I take the points on the over, you know, it's just, um, if this game were to go lopsided one way, it's going lopsided in, in favor of the Tigers very easily, you know, but yeah, um, you know, um, yeah. what do you think of the game? Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. You go ahead. Yeah, I think there's only three ways that this game plays out. I think you either see Ohio State win a close game, Clemson win a close game, or Clemson pull away. I don't really see a scenario where where Ohio State goes out there and runs us out of the building. So that's, you know, just kind of how I've been looking at it. I mean, yeah, you have to you, – you also have to apply the angry Dabo and the angry Clemson metric to this equation. Um Dabo Sweeney's been getting a lot of flack from from Ohio State fans, from pundits, from, from their coaches staff, from their players about this game. And it if it does get later in the game, where as as we've said, Ohio State's depth isn't there. I really I really expect Dabo to just not give a damn and start throwing the ball all over the park. But yeah, um, yeah, guys, uh, tell us what you think about our predictions um, about this podcast leave them leave them in the replies below we are on apple music now we are uh we are on apple so go there check us out give us a follow go ahead and give us a little five-star review um but yeah we can't do this without you guys and 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 it means a lot and with the uh basketball season starting to really ramp up and the football season draw to a close please message us please tweet us what you would like to hear from from this show we don't want it to be just a football thing you know we want this to be all sports and uh yeah if uh you know and if um you guys know anyone who may be interested in uh coming on as a guest reach out to us reach out to them and we will we will get it rolling but again guys this is the 
This is the Twin Twin Tiger Show. My name is Tiger Aaron, alongside with Tiger Drew, and I guess we will see you all on New Year's Day. Go Tigers.